What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Teachers are alive. They're not books. They are the very living essences of nature itself. What a strange person. Unbelievably powerful supercomputer that's running our reality, and we don't have a clue yep. as to how to operate it. So when maybe you or somebody else creates an AGI system, and you get to ask her one question. What's outside the simulation? Say in your mind, say to yourself, I am more than my physical body. Because I am more than physical matter, I can perceive that which is greater than the physical world. Near the Great Lakes, it's Lighting the Void. I'm your host, Joe Rupin. We're live on the Fringe FM KTLK Digital Broadcasting. Wednesday night, September the 30th, as we head into October the 1st tonight. And the one and only Kathleen Martin is back with us. We're going to be talking UFOs. A tip. But all, you know what? It's UFOs. That's what we're going to be talking about. 
Uh, I want to thank our patrons for making this happen. I got the video to you guys uploading right now. And uh, it's a long 30-minute conglomerate of behind-the-scenes video action. You guys are really going to love it. And then we'll have the normal stuff come out to you tomorrow as well. And I got good news. The shout-outs on the Google Play app are going to be fixed. They updated it. They submitted it, so we're just waiting on Google uh, to let that go through. And then everybody that has Androids will be able to use the shout-outs, too. Should be pretty quick now. Also, don't forget to go sign up for the Fringe Fest. We're going to have quite a few speakers, some really big names. We'll announce those soon at thefringefest.com. Seats are limited. It's an online event, and you're going to want to get involved with that because seats are limited. And there's going to be breakout rooms. We're going to have performances. Um a lot of surprises coming with that. That's going to happen on the weekend of Halloween, Friday night, October the 30th, Halloween day, uh, and then Halloween night, we're going to do Alex Exum's Halloween special. Like we do every year, this will be the third year in a row that we do that. Okay, uh, let's see, what else? I think that's it. Make sure you go download the, the new apps, though, the Fringe FM app on the Play Store, the uh Apple Store, and Alexa. And if you want to use any other app besides that, use the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live or TalkStream Live. That's what I'm going to recommend for you. Of course, you can use TuneIn and all these other apps, but these are the, these are the best apps you can use to listen to the Fringe FM if you want to listen to the Fringe FM. All right, so I want to get on with this show, but I know there was something else I was supposed to tell you guys about. Other than that, but I don't know. Let's just get into this, and we'll figure it out as we go along. What do you say? Um, it's been a minute since Kathleen's been on the show, and I had the very uh, very distinct pleasure of meeting, meeting Kathleen for the first time at the very first like big paranormal event that I ever went to at um, the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference. This was a few years ago, and she was there with uh, Stanton Friedman, and I got to talk to both of them, and it was so cool. It was like my very first experience. It was like the first year with the Fringe FM came to be, and Dave Cruz and I was there, and uh, I think Travis Walton was there at the same time. It was a really, really cool, um, really cool thing. Boy, those were the good old days. Anyways, if you have never heard of Kathleen Martin, I don't know how you haven't if you've been in ufology, but let me tell you, she's a leading authority on UFO contact, the author of several books, uh, featured on-camera commentator and an international lecturer. She is certif- a certified practitioner. Excuse me, I've been drinking coffee too fast. A practitioner of regression hypnosis and quantum healing uh, hypnosis techniques. That's what I was going to tell you guys. Um, shoot, let me finish this and then I'll tell you that about that. Um, and uh, her interest in UFOs and contact began in 1961 with her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, who had a close encounter and a subsequent abduction in New Hampshire's White Mountains. Her book, her books are Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, Science Was Wrong, uh, and Fact and Fiction and Flying Saucers with nuclear physicist and scientist, uh, ufologist Stanton T. Friedman, who just passed away in 2019, and The Alien Abduction Files, with uh, looks like Dennis Stoner there, and her fifth book is Extraterrestrial Contact. What do you uh, what to do when you've been abducted? Though this is going to be cool. So she is a contributor to A Freeze Beyond UFOs: The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. 
Oh man. Uh, thanks, Kathleen, for coming on. Sorry. I would I just blew through your introduction there because I spilled coffee on my shirt. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I hope it wasn't hot. No, but, it uh, wasn't. Great to be with you. Great to be with you again. Yeah. Do you remember that? Do you remember like the I don't know if you remember it was like our first um booth we went in the back it was when travis was there and uh um that was at you've probably been to so many conferences you don't remember do you um ufo conference and uh ufo mountain conference in uh, eureka springs back when we could actually go out and play i always loved going to the eureka springs conference and i remember a radio uh show set up in the back of the vendor room yeah uh, is that where you were? Yep, we were right beside Mike Cleland. Yes. Yes. Okay. That was us back when the good old days when we had a we had a plastic paper banner. That was fun. I remember that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So good times, right? So this I haven't talked to you in a while, and this this book, uh, Extraterrestrial Contact. This is your latest book, and I, it I would is like, my latest. I would yes. really like to get into this because. After you've studied everything, well, you know what, before we get into the book, just in case there's anybody that doesn't know who you are, can you tell us who Betty and Barney Hill were to you and kind of just give us a quick rundown about that? Okay, absolutely. Uh, I was 13 years old when my aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, went on uh, a surprise vacation uh, to Niagara Falls and Montreal, and then they were returning back through the White Mountains of New Hampshire at night, and uh, they had a close encounter with a UFO that uh, was beside their car, oh, probably at least 30 minutes, uh, and then it swooped down over the highway in front of them. Barney stepped out. He took the binoculars. He could see non-human entities looking down at him. That was part of his conscious recall. It did not come out for the first time under hypnosis. And um, he was very frightened. He had the impression that the non-humans had a plan, and that was to capture him. And so he returned to the car, went speeding down the highway, heard uh, code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of the car, caused the car to vibrate and a tingling sensation to pass through his body and Betty's body. And the next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the highway with uh, very little memory for what had happened in the interim. This is so common. You know, you're in, in one spot, the craft is overhead, it was right over the top of their vehicle, And then you're in another location. Uh, A couple of hours have passed, and uh, you back then had no idea what had happened because theirs was the first scientifically investigated case in the United States. Uh, So they did find out later. uh, They had some memories of finding themselves on a dirt road, a roadblock, being taken from the car, being frightened. Uh, They remembered a fiery orb. They remembered quite a bit, and they went up looking for that spot over and over again uh, to jog their memories, to try to figure out where they encountered that roadblock. And uh, eventually, my uncle developed post-traumatic stress disorder, 
as a result of the experience, that conscious recall that he had, that fear of being abducted and uh, the uh, amnesia regarding two hours of missing time. And so he and Betty ended up going to a psychiatrist in Boston, Massachusetts, who uh, had was a renowned psychiatrist. He didn't believe that UFO abductions were real, but he had worked very, very successfully throughout his career, starting during World War II when he set up the psychiatric unit at the Mason General Hospital on Long Island to treat veterans who were returning from the war, suffering from shell shock and conversion hysteria, um, that kind of thing, and had a tremendous amount of success. He was at the top of his field, so he was a very good person for Betty and Barney to go to, even though he really didn't believe that UFO abduction was real. But there was no other plausible explanation for what had happened to them. Stanton and I discovered after years of research and investigation following every lead, they oh, were abducted. That, that is, that, uh, <laughs> that, that back then had to have been a lot harder than it, I imagine than it was now. You know, I can only imagine. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, like, people are kind of hard on the UFO community now as it is, even with all the stuff going on in the military and all the evidence that we have, but I can't imagine what it would be like back then to try to, to experience something like that and then go around and try to, you know, just tell your story. And not only that, recover yep. psychologically from it. You know, they didn't tell their story to anyone initially except for the Air Force. They reported it to Project Blue Book right away. And then they reported it to NICAP after my aunt took a, a book out of the Portsmouth Public Library in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the first book she ever read on UFOs. They had no previous interest in them. And uh, so they made a report to NICAP. They were willing to talk to scientists willing to talk to military officers, and they did, from the Air Force and the Navy. Uh, and uh, UFO, some UFO investigators, because the family heard about it, but we were sworn to secrecy. But they had a lot at stake. Betty was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. Barney worked for the U.S. Post Office. Uh, they were both active in the civil rights movement. In 1965, Barney was appointed to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission's State Advisory Committee for the state of New Hampshire. And uh, he also received an award from Sergeant Shriver, who was the head of the poverty program in Washington, D.C., for the work that he did uh, to uh, set up the Rockingham County Community Action Program through the Office of Economic Opportunity to, to help the less fortunate people in Rockingham County, New Hampshire. That's the most southern uh, and eastern county uh, right on the ocean, part of it is. You know, so they had built a very good reputation in the state. They were politically active. In fact, we were invited to Lyndon Johnson's uh, inauguration. And uh, because they were such great role models for me that I became uh, involved in campaigning for Lyndon Johnson when I was a teenager. 
And so we ended up going to his inauguration as invited guests. That was even before any of this information was known uh, about a UFO abduction. But there was a violation of confidentiality and uh, a Boston newspaper reporter had the pretty much the whole story. Uh, he talked to uh, people who are willing to spill the beans. He talked to the Air Force. One good thing he did is he found at least a dozen witnesses to the UFO that night in the same location where Betty and Barney had seen it. And uh, so that was a good thing, but, but it really, in a sense, destroyed their lives, too, when it was published in that newspaper without their permission. But, you know, then they decided that they would go public since everyone knew about it anyway. And they talked for the first time about it uh, in November of 1965. Uh, it was uh, snowing out and sleeting, and this was in Dover, New Hampshire. And they were introduced to this packed crowd uh, by the public information officer from Pease Air Force Base. So that was uh, pretty interesting that the Air Force had that much interest that he was the one who it, in, introduced them to the this overflow crowd. The, it was in a church in Dover, a large church. The pews were filled, people were standing. The basement section of the, the church was filled and they had loudspeakers down there, and there were people outside listening. Wow. There was a lot of interest in it. And Betty and Barney were actually surprised at first that it was so well-received that people believed them. Uh, but then uh, we had the disinformants who came in. Uh, in their book was uh, their book was published in 1966, and it was just about that time. It was the spring of 1966 when the disinformant uh, Philip Class. Yeah, I came, remember that. Uh, he was all over it. Travis and everybody. Yeah, he was, and he he uh, had gotten into trouble with the federal government. He was under suspicion of espionage uh, because he was very active at the Soviet embassy. He worked in Washington, D.C. for a magazine, uh, uh, a space technology magazine, aviation and state uh, space technology. And he uh, had a relationship with a young Russian man. They did everything together Class was invited to parties at the embassy. So he started to be tailed by the FBI. I was lucky enough to be able to acquire his FBI report. And uh, so I suspect that this was in the sort of the same time frame, not long before he became involved in debunking UFOs. And what the uh, intelligence community did uh, back in those days, maybe they still do, but uh, they, when someone would get into trouble, they would offer them the opportunity to uh, redeem themselves 
And uh, they hadn't found uh, radio equipment, shortwave radio equipment in, in Class's apartment, but they had uh, found that he had uh, violated national security twice in that magazine that he wrote for by uh, exposing classified information. And so he could have been prosecuted for that, but the government didn't prosecute him because uh, if they were to do that, they would have to reveal this classified information in court. So I try, uh, Travis is one, Travis Walton, Stanton Friedman, and I all agree that we believe that the FBI and e maybe even the CIA coerced him into doing this work. And he pretty much did it on a full-time basis uh, after his regular job and uh, was really quite a spy in what he did. And he uh, went in and he uh, took apart every credible UFO report, every credible UFO abduction case. And uh, he uh, entered conjecture, uh, just possibilities of what might have happened. He entered in false information. And uh, he totally distorted these stories in the minds of the American public. And uh, so he was successful at what he did as probably the most prolific anti-UFO propagandist of the 20th century. Stanton and I, and I wrote the book Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. And that's our book about the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs, uh, their major studies, the findings, the decision to cover up the findings, who was behind it, Every step of the way, we take, take a lot of pride in this book because we went to a lot of physical archives and, boy, we did a lot of research over a number of years uh, to acquire the information that is in that book. We also talk about the disinformants and their modus operandi and what they did to every major case. Yeah, I got that book on audiobook, and I love the fact that all of your books are on Audible. Even this new one, yes. too. I just grabbed it uh, right before the, the show. So so this is, um, what do you think, what is your opinion on, based on everything that Stanton told you, everything that you guys have discussed about disinformation and what they do and what goes on to discredit uh, these events and ufology and abductions and things like that, what do you think is really truly happening with the military and ATIP? And um, I mean, they come up with all these different names, obviously, because they can't say UFO. They have to treat it as a, um, I guess, as some type of standard uh, threat or something to look into. But do you think that there's any foul play around this at all? I, I think that this is soft disclosure. Uh, we know that, of, of course, there's uh, the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, uh, and uh, Tom DeLong received permission from the military to set this up. He didn't just go out and set it up. And then the people who were are on his committee 
are all uh, top level uh, former intelligence officers, uh, Lou Elizondo, who ran the ATIP program out of the Pentagon, former intelligence officer, um, uh, former CIA, uh, former uh, engineers for uh, companies that, that built uh, spaceships, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I think that what they're, they are doing is they're attempting to just study this information. And if they have soft disclosure, then people are going to come forward probably more and talk to them directly so that they can learn as much as they can about UFO technology. Because that's, I think that's what they're after. They want this advanced technology. Anyone who has that advanced technology can rule the world. And, you know, what What do militaries want to do? Yeah. So, right. uh, you know, I think that that is part of it. Um, so Lou Elizondo, uh, when he left the ATIP program, uh, ended up uh, through the Freedom of Information Act uh, acquiring three uh, radar videos that uh, were approved by the Department of Defense to be released to him. And uh, that's what we've seen, the Tic Tac and the, the Nimitz uh, UFOs. And, you know, there were more. There, there were some off the coast, uh, off the coast of San Diego in California with the Nimitz. And then um, there, uh, there was, was the uh, Tic Tac uh, mm -hmm. yeah. there. And then off the East Coast, from Virginia all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida, there was a lot of activity during naval maneuvers, just like off the West Coast as well. So, uh, And off the East Coast, they sometimes took different shapes. One of them was like a fuzzy orb, and another one was like a, a rectangle or a square with a, a ball in the middle. And then kind of your classic UFO shape. So uh, it seems that these uh, maybe non-humans were uh, showing off for the Navy, showing what they have. And uh, the military officers who uh, were doing their exercises off the East Coast actually uh, then went overseas and the UFOs followed. So uh, that was interesting. They're calling them UAPs now. I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not happy with the name UAP. That was a name that was introduced back in 1952, July of 1952. Uh, before that, they had called them flying discs, and they knew they were metallic. They were, they were structured. But then in 52, when they had the um, major press conference at the Pentagon after uh, the UFOs were seen over Washington, D.C., picked up on radar, chased by military jets, and were seen all up and down the East Coast that summer, uh, there was concern. So the, this press conference was called, and uh, Major General John Alexander Samford said that there's nothing else in the work that we could uh, 
call them except for phenomena. And so unidentified uh, aerial phenomena is uh, dates all the way back to 1952. He also said that people had been seeing them dating back to biblical times and that uh, the Air Force was was interested in this. They were studying it, uh, but not too frantically. And there had never been an incident where it appeared that they presented a threat to national security. That's what he stated back then. And uh, so... Now, everybody knows, or most people know, that UFOs are real. There has been enough on television without hauling in the debunkers and the disinformants over the past maybe 10 years. Uh, and, and so anyone who watches television uh, has probably come across that at one time or another. And, you know, so I think that they're, they're having soft disclosure. Uh, the, the Navy actually admitted that the footage was theirs, um, you know, hurling through the air and uh, uh, maneuvering in uh, a way that uh, violates our knowledge of the laws of physics. No human being could be in craft that moved that way. We'd end up mush. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they really are technologically advanced, and I think that that is what this is all about: is uh, to acquire, attempt to acquire their technology. But when it comes to UFO abductions, uh, I they're not going to come forward with that. I don't think. I yeah. know. Of course not. That would really freak everybody out, wouldn't it? Surely. Yes. And, and you know, the, the Department of Defense would not be in favor of that because, uh, obviously, they're technologically advanced and our military can't stop UFO mm-hmm. abductions if that's what these entities want to do with humans. Well, so uh, yeah. I noticed that uh, the uh, To the Stars Academy had a a television series this summer, and on the last show, they brought out a disinformant, Mm. a debunker, Susan Clancy, who... uh, Let's let's pick up off her. Let's take our first break, Kathleen, and pick up right there, and then I want to get into your book, uh, your new book about what to do when uh, these types of things happen. It's pretty pretty interesting stuff. There is a lot going on behind the scenes, regardless of what we see in the news and the media. There's... They are still trying to cover this stuff up. Obviously, more Lighting the Void coming up. Kathleen Martin, our guest tonight. Stay with us.
Hey, Donald. Thanks for visiting the Fringe FM studios. What brings you in? I'm in the White House and I was lonely. Welcome to the Fringe family. KTLK, the Fringe FM. Talkstream Live is always on 24-7 with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes app. Good evening. This is Art Bell, and you are listening to The Fringe FM. This is the Rogie Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. Technology, it's not just for the masses, but for warfare. The U.S. Army has been testing artificial intelligence in the Arizona desert. Army's Future Command released a video this week explaining about the project. Project Convergence is a campaign of learning designed to aggressively pursue an artificial intelligence and machine learning-enabled battlefield management system. Because whoever can see, understand, decide, and act first will win. And winning matters. And winning matters. It's just kind of funny that that's what they open with. Let's get back to the audio. The Army is demonstrating new technologies as often as every two weeks. With these emerging technologies as the foundation, Project Convergence demonstrations will consist of multi-domain operational environments where the Army will demonstrate artificial intelligence and networked lethality capabilities that augment human sensing and decision-making on the battlefield. The Army is integrating into the Joint Staff-Led Joint Warfighting concept. The Army developed Project Convergence to enhance combined joint all-domain command and control and focus on four key topics for modernization. Sensor integration, effects integration, applications, and data. The Army's signature modernization efforts give our soldiers the weapons they need to be the most lethal and effective force in the world. The Critical Link Powering Project Convergence is an artificial intelligence platform called Firestorm. It's the Skynet of the program. Hopefully Firestorm does not become self-aware. In less terrifying asteroid news... 
an asteroid will pass near Earth on September 24th. The space rock will pass closer to the planet than the moon orbits. The moon is approximately 30 Earths away, and the asteroid will pass at a distance of approximately 2.1 Earths. This means that the asteroid, named 2020SW, will pass closer than television and weather satellites, according to EarthSky.com. It's official, Tom Cruise is finally going to space with the help of Elon Musk. Cruise is starring in a new film taking place in outer space, set to be directed by Edge of Tomorrow's Doug Lyman. NASA's Jim Bridenstine tweeted, NASA is excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. We need popular media to inspire a new generation of engineers and scientists to make NASA's ambitious plans a reality. Tom Cruise will be riding on SpaceX Crew Dragon rocket to the International Space Station in October of 2021. This is the Rogie Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. to Lighting the Void. I'm your host, Joe Roop. We're live on the Fringe FM, 5 nights a week, 9 p.m. Pacific to 11 p.m. Pacific. That's midnight Eastern to 2 a.m. after the show. The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable comes on. You get awesome broadcasting every night, and the station should be properly formatted after this weekend, so things are changing for sure. Um, Kathleen Martin, our guest tonight, it's been a minute since she's been on the broadcast, and uh, we're going to talk about her new book. But, you know, I had to hate Kathleen. I had to cut you off, like, right before you were getting super passionate about disinformants. And I was like, oh, man, I really don't <laughs> want to step on this one because this is good, you know. But, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. You were talking about uh, To the Stars had their own infor- uh, disinformants. That was pretty good. Well, uh, not to the stars, though. Uh, I was talking about Susan Clancy. Susan, who, yeah, sorry. My, yes, I, I uh, she, when uh, she was po- doing postgraduate work at Harvard University in, in psychology, she uh, was able to get uh, a grant to uh, do a memory study. And she did the memory study on uh, people who claimed that they'd been abducted by aliens. And uh, her entire hypothesis was that this was absolutely impossible. So what is causing these people to develop these false memories? And so she tested all of these people expecting to find out that they were fantasy prone and and had other psychiatric problems. And actually in the end, they were pretty normal. (laughs) And, uh, so, uh, but she continued with this idea that, uh, there is a problem. She even said on the show that uh, they uh, had a higher level of trauma than other people. They tested uh, that way. But uh, she went on to talk about hypnosis. And everything she said about hypnosis was absolutely false. 
And uh, so that was on television. And she was using that false information to lead the public to believe that it is hypnotists and hypnotherapists who are feeding these stories to uh, people who have had these experiences. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, but I most people it. that's done a little bit of research and that has, you know, a mind, a mind would probably be like, I don't know. It's, it's you see, that's what gets so bad is that when the disinfo, get, I think they do it on purpose too. That you don't know what's what, and that's all it takes is like one disinfo agent to step in, and I think they purposefully like let people know they're disinfo, so you, then you don't know who to believe anymore. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, yes. great. Now what do we do? Um, mm -hmm. And with the research that you've done and that Stanton did, that's kind of it's so disheartening because it's got to make the struggle worse, I think. But do you think, do you think that we're getting closer to anything, Kathleen, now? I mean, it's, I hate to even ask that because it doesn't <sighs> feel, it doesn't feel like it, does it? Well, you know what? I'm I'm not uh, trying to convince the general public that sure. this is real. Um, as far as I'm concerned, what the general public has done is when disclosure was announced on the front page of the New York Times on December uh, 16, 2017, people read it. And then they forgot it, and they went on with their lives. And the only people who really mem remember that are those of us who were involved in the field. And most of us uh, came into this because we've, or someone in our family, have had an experience ourselves. Uh, and we have other people who are just interested and curious, but uh, for the most part, the, the general public isn't interested they'll they just go about their way watching their TV reality shows and and their sports games and uh, raising their families and uh, doing whatever else they do and and that's it <laughs> so and those like me who are serious uh, UFO and uh, contact abduction researchers uh, get into our work with the people who are having these experiences and those who are interested in knowing more about it. But I, I have no interest in pushing that kind of information on the general public. Well, I they mean, at that point, need... at that point, I wouldn't either. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. what, what do you need? And if you don't, if you, it's not about what they need. It's about that. They don't really care. That's what really right. upsets me about it the most it's like, you don't care what any of them say, well, it could be military. Okay, well, it could be military. The fact is we still got craft up there breaking the laws of physics. Okay, mm -hmm. it, you don't, that doesn't bother you. You don't, no, no, let's watch the debate. Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that yes. again. <laughs> and I mean, those are just yep. getting worse and worse. They're like the soap operas oh for gosh. teenagers now, you know? Right. <laughs> You know, so, you know, that's, that's my perception of what is happening. And among young people, a lot of young people just accept that, that this is real or that it's science fiction. You have a lot of young people who are following people who are telling false tales and sort of on the scientific end of science fiction end of it. 
And then you have other young people who just know that it's real and, and accept it for what it is and, and go on with, about with their lives. It's different from the time that I was a teenager when I learned that all of this was real and my friends and I would talk about it. Um, very different today, I think. Well, yeah, because you were still involved with what's known as real research and journalism. Whether you're an independent researcher, uh, but either regardless, um, there's a method to research that matters, yes. you know. And um, I don't think it's being respected. I do have to ask you, and you can say no comment if you want to, but I'm trying to contemplate whether I even want to go down this road, but I trust <laughs> you when it comes to ufology. Um, so I've been approached by the uh, Billy Myers crew, and I don't really know if I want to go down that road or not. What, I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I don't, I just, uh, I don't know. Well, we wrote a little bit about Billy Myers in um, fact fiction and flying saucers mm -hmm. uh, that is supposedly true information, but then the Billy Myers group uh, states that it's not true. Uh, accurate that it's information that's been put out by disinformants. Um, and so it's difficult to advise you. I do know that uh, Dr. Bruce McAfee, uh, optical physicist, did uh, analyze the, uh, some of the photographs that Billy Myers took, and he declared that they were fakes. Okay. Um, Maybe some of them are real. I don't know. I know that there was uh, a, a piece of uh, metal that was submitted for analysis to uh, supposedly extraterrestrial in origin, but it ended up being very earthly in origin. And well, from the reports that I've read, uh, you would find it in anybody's uh, workshop. So uh, I have not seen really convincing evidence that this is real. I know that he has a cult following yeah, big uh, around the world. A lot of people fall into cult followings, but uh, that's I, my whole thought process right there. Like mm -hmm. anytime you, any, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong. Look, there's nothing wrong with cults, religions, whatever, but it doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't, the research doesn't add up when you get to that because there's always, and it's no offense or anything, but it was the same thing that kind of happened with uh, Corey Good. And when you go down these types of roads, then you're getting into like confirmation bias all the time. You're getting into yes. the, to places where people are looking for information to validate what they believe because they want to believe it instead of trying to find out the truth, you know? Yes. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, maybe it is happening to Billy Myers, and maybe he just doesn't have the level of evidence that uh, scientists want. Uh, but from what has been analyzed, the scientists are declaring it a hoax. I know he has lot, very big supporters who say that it is real, and there's no doubt about it. But uh, it's an interesting story, if it, it is, is true. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I love that. I knew you'd give me a good, honest answer for that one. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about your new book then. 
this book that you good. got out that just came out, right? I think it was released. Um, it releases in a few days for print, or you can already order it now on Amazon. Extraterrestrial contact. Is that right? Yes. Yes. You can absolutely uh, order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, it, available in all sorts of fo- formats, or you can order an autographed copy from oh. me uh, at on my website at. Kathleen with a K dash Marden, M A R D E N dot com. I'll That's send it awesome. out to you. Now, this is, is this the first uh, survivor's guide to UFO abduction? Almost like a field manual or a guide in case you get abducted. Is this the first thing? Are you the first to do this? I think I am. Uh, there was no other book on the market that I was aware of that was like this. So I wanted to write a comprehensive guide for experiencers because uh, so many uh, come to me and have over the past 30 years. And uh, now I have a team of 40 people who <laughs> are talking to experiencers who are seeking assistance too and uh, mostly attempting to determine whether this is really happening to them, uh, what it is that's happening, if it's paranormal, if it's uh, negative on the negative side of the paranormal, or if it's actually extraterrestrial, uh, how to document their evidence, what to look for, how to cope with what is happening in their lives. Uh, there, We have a Uh, a workbook at the end or a worksheet at the end of every chapter to help people who are having a variety of different experiences, anywhere from something that's very positive to something that's highly negative. So uh, it sort of runs the gamut. What do you find in common? And I know because now you're also into, this is what I was going to tell everybody, uh, too, I was. I'm going to do a live uh, regression on the air October the 28th, and oh. I should have got you to do it. Uh, not saying I don't like Daniel. Daniel's really cool. I just probably, if I probably, would you even be up for doing something like that live? Because that you takes- know what, I I've uh, taken two types of hypnosis. I'm highly experienced in doing it, mm-hmm. but I in both of those. Uh, training classes or uh, sessions, I learned that you cannot do a regression online. That really? it is, yeah, that that it is unethical. Uh, people can be hurt that way. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if, if that person was with that uh, abductee or experiencer doing the hypnosis in their home, that would be fine to do a regression there. But you really need to have somebody watching these people. What happens if they uh, become terrified? Uh, You have to be there to be able to touch them in order to be able to calm them. When I do hypnosis, I sit very, very close to them. They're lying down flat on a bed, and I'm watching their face. And I'm there so that if I see an expression that signals that uh, they are uh, experiencing something that is not good, then I will come right in and give them suggestions. Yeah, see, that's now I get it because 
Daniel's like, yeah, we can do this, but you're going to have to sign some paperwork. And then I got to see you on camera and you need somebody there with you. And I was like, whoa, you know, I didn't know it was that extensive. So that is, I think, just hearing you say that now, a lot of stuff is starting to make sense. But the reason why I bring that up, and I'm crazy enough to do it anyways, but the reason why I bring it up is I wonder if this is a common thing with abductees that they have things happen to them when they're in, let's just say, hypnagogia or altered conscious type states, because that gets brought up a lot, you know. Um, are you talking about when they're they're sleeping in their in yeah, or, hypnagogic state? Or, or? meditation or just any oh, type meditation. of altered state, really, other than just full uh, waking state? Uh, well, yes. Uh, I've uh, experimented with this uh, more recently in terms of uh, communicating with non-humans and uh, there's uh, an experiencer his first experience was when he was eight years old uh, he lives here in Florida near me in the same town that I live in his name's Kevin Briggs and uh, he ha- talks to a council of non-humans and he invited a research team to uh, study what he was doing over a period of uh, I, I think it was more than a year. Maybe it was two full years that we did it. Once a month, um, we had uh, researchers. We had uh, a, a PhD psychologist there. We had uh, a couple of skeptics. We had experiencers. We had a lot of equipment too, uh, in order to try to measure uh, any temperature changes in the room. Uh, to make sure that he wasn't just imagining this uh, and and telling us you know, what he was imagining or even hoaxing it. And so uh, we did actually measure a significant temperature change in the area of the room where one of these entities was standing and speaking to us through Kevin's body. And they told us, Uh, over a long period of time, gave us a lot of information about consciousness um, and about communication, about uh, their agenda, why they're here, uh, all sorts of information, anything that we asked. And um, they came to each of us uh, who were sensitive enough to be able to uh, learn to communicate. And first they wanted to show us their craft and uh, then and orbs. And uh, then uh, we agreed, some of us agreed, I agreed to have one come and communicate directly with me uh, who claimed to be mm-hmm. a scientist. I never did see him, but I could feel his presence because I had a very strong tingling sensation in my body. We all did. And when they were near us in the room where Kevin was, we also felt that very strong kind of electrical tingling sensation and received telepathic messages. So uh, that was interesting. I I do know that people can learn to do this. We, I mean, these, they claim that they're extraterrestrials. Who knows what they really are? Um, but that's what they claim, and they they gave us some very good information, I thought. 
That is so interesting because the well, you're talking about feeling tingling and stuff like that has only happened to me very rarely in my life. And you know what? Usually, I mean, super rare. And usually that's when there's some other type of energy. I mean, we don't have to get into details there, but if they're just, if these beings are kind of just doing this stuff on the regular when they're speaking with you, I wonder what it would be like in their actual presence. Do other people say that um, when they, if they get in their presence, presence that like the energy is, is too much sometimes maybe or overwhelming? A lot, yeah. Some some people say that, and when people are taken to craft and they're on a table, for example, they'll feel that very strong electrical tingling too. But generally, they're being told at that time that they're attempting to raise their vibrational frequency. So why would they need to raise the vibrational frequency? Because um, they... Uh, have the technology. They might be uh, also, they claim to be uh, in the fifth and sixth dimensions, Uh, but they might also be using technology to move humans from uh, our environment through solid surfaces onto craft. So uh, they would have to raise the vibrational frequency of the human body so that the atomic structure would be energized. The more energized it becomes, the less visible you become. And uh, so that seems to be occurring. So we have highly energized entities that are outside our visual range, which is very narrow. And... uh, and they can be walking among us. They can be in the room with us. In fact, while I'm saying this, I'm having tingling through my crown chakra. It just started. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> you think that's because yes. you've had so much interaction? Probably. Them? Probably, because I, I didn't have that before I engaged in this experiment. That is fascinating to me. That yeah. is so fascinating to me because... Uh, I don't know. I just know that uh, the whole the whole idea, the reason why I want to go down this road, and we got to go to the top of the hour break, is is the one thing that like Whitley Strieber told me when he came on the air here uh, about spirituality and his story there, and how he kind of transitioned from, you know, back in the day when he told his abduction story when he wrote Communion, and then now it's more of a like a spiritual interdimensional. Uh, type thing and I know to a lot of people that listen to this show uh, when you hear this uh, because we do have a lot of you know scientific type shows here when you hear this it sounds kind of out there but if you really get into what's really going on with the out-of-body experience the programs that the government did with them the Monroe Institute all Mm -hmm. of these entities and the things that people ran into it starts to really add up if you actually dig into the research like don't just throw your hat up and say that's insane like really get into the research and you'll see that there's something going on for sure you know that's 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 super frustrating to me sometimes because people hear this stuff and they're like oh man that's just wild but it's it's really not it's really going on um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to get a little bit more into this book we do gotta we're at the top of the hour we got to take our break we'll open the phone lines up too when we come back, Kathleen Martin's our guest tonight. We'll be right back. More Lighting the Void coming up.
Fringe FM studios, what brings you in? I'm in the White House and I was lonely. Welcome to the Fringe family. KTLK, the Fringe FM. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, big conspiracies, and Steep it and drink in the results. Tastes great so you can create a new health habit. Our tea loves to help people. It just needs the chance. So order yours today by logging on to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Our life change super strength tea is waiting. This could be a beautiful relationship. Take charge of your health. Order at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. This is Art Bell, and you are listening to The Fringe FM. This is the Rogue Report News on The Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. Technology, it's not just for the masses, but for warfare. The U.S. Army has been testing artificial intelligence in the Arizona desert. Army's Future Command released a video this week explaining about the project. Project Convergence is a campaign of learning designed to aggressively pursue an artificial intelligence and machine learning-enabled battlefield management system. Because whoever can see, understand, decide, and act first will win. And winning matters. And winning matters. It's just kind of funny that that's what they open with. Let's get back to the audio. The Army is demonstrating new technologies as often as every two weeks. With these emerging technologies as the foundation, Project Convergence demonstrations will consist of multi-domain operational environments where the Army will demonstrate artificial intelligence and networked lethality capabilities that augment human sensing and decision-making on the battlefield. The Army is integrating into the joint staff-led joint warfighting concept. The Army developed Project Convergence to enhance combined joint all-domain command and control and focus on four key topics for modernization. Sensor integration, effects integration, applications, and data. The Army's signature modernization efforts give our soldiers the weapons they need to be the most lethal and effective force in the world. The Critical Link Powering Project Convergence is an artificial intelligence platform called Firestorm. It's the Skynet of the program. Hopefully Firestorm does not become self-aware. In less terrifying asteroid news... An asteroid will pass near Earth on September 24th. The space rock will pass closer to the planet than the moon orbits. The moon is approximately 30 Earths away, and the asteroid will pass at a distance of approximately 2.1 Earths. This means that the asteroid, named 2020 SW, will pass closer than television and weather satellites, according to EarthSky.com. It's official, Tom Cruise is finally going to space with the help of Elon Musk. Cruise is starring in a new film taking place in outer space, set to be directed by Edge of Tomorrow's Doug Lyman. 
NASA's Jim Bridenstein tweeted, NASA is excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. We need popular media to inspire a new generation of engineers and scientists to make NASA's ambitious plans a reality. Tom Cruise will be riding on SpaceX Crew Dragon rocket to the International Space Station in October of 2021. This is the Rogie Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. Hey, Donald. Thanks for visiting the Fringe FM studios. What brings you in? I'm in the White House and I was lonely. Welcome to the Fringe family. KTLK, the Fringe FM. Then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on 24-7 with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. I'm not talking about the heavy metals in the junkyard. I'm talking about the heavy metals that build up in your body. Heavy metals in your body can make you feel sluggish, fatigued, and just plain off. Why not try Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com? Cleansing your body and making you feel great. (sighs) Cleansing the inside of your body of intruders that sneak their way into you and set up an intruder camp. Life Change Tea helps remove unwanted intruder camps. Brew it, steep it, and drink in the results. Tastes great so you can create a new health habit. Our tea loves to help people. It just needs the chance. So order yours today by logging on to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Our life change super strength tea is waiting. This could be a beautiful relationship. Take charge of your health. Order at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. to the show at 1-800-588-0335. That's the call-in number. You can also join our chat room by going to thefriends.fm forward slash chat room. And as you can tell, I wasn't playing when I told you we got one of these new fancy uh, playout systems. I mean, this is like the real deal radio system here. And all I got to do is hit one button and everything is going haywire, but... I'm telling you, by next week, we're going to be sounding tip-top. I just got to spend a whole weekend on this thing. Uh, but And I got behind-the-scenes action, too, for you, Patreon, so you can watch that. And by the way, if you want to support the show, just go to lightingthevoid.com and, ch- and click on the Patreon banner or go to patreon.com forward slash LTV radio. Kathleen Martin is our guest tonight. 
please go check out her website for reference. And that's Kathleen-Marden.com. And there's a book section there. You can also get, now, I don't know if this is, this is what we were talking about before the break, but I would like to do this at some time. You can actually do a guided meditation with you now. That's pretty cool. How long? You've been doing that for a while now, though, haven't you? Uh, no, that's fairly recent. Is it? Uh, okay. I, I'm not able to do uh, hypnosis uh, because of COVID-19. And so, so many people have come to me uh, seeking assistance, wanting hypnosis, and uh, I thought, well, what can I do? I can't do a regression uh, over Zoom, but I can offer a guided meditation to uh, take people on a, a great journey where they're feeling very comfortable and just to open up their minds, open up the third eye, and to get a glimpse into additional information as long as it doesn't bother them too badly. So I teach them how to meditate. Um, I send them the recording. And uh, they can use it as often as they want to try to unlock some of these memories. Oh, man. This is just get a little bit scary, though. Now, I want to tell you something that happened to me, and then we'll get into your book. I, someone asked me if I'd ever been abducted or anything like that. I said, I don't, I don't think so. But there are only two things that I can remember that might even happen that was even close. Once when I was little... You know, when we're little, we see all kinds of things. But my eyes were wide open, and I saw, like, these really tall, lanky shadows. of They were clear as day, like people walking across my walls. And these weren't humans. These were really tall. And then uh, I remember in the hypnagogic state once viewing myself over a table. But that was, it was so long ago, and it was kind of, like, imprintable. I remember it. I just don't know. I just don't see how that could just be in my mind when I was like five or six years old. You see what I mean? Like, where did I get that from? I wasn't watching anything but cartoons then. That's weird. But Mm. um, Yeah, the shadows could have been uh, observed during sleep paralysis. mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and sometimes shadows can look very, very tall. Or, you know, then could it be something paranormal? Generally, uh, when people are taken, uh, if if they're not taken by mistake, then uh, they will be taken over and over again. Um, you know, once every year. Okay. Maybe some, once every six months. Uh, it, it tends to occur th- over a person's lifetime. Uh, because the relationship has been established. There's a, a longitudinal study, uh, genetic study taking place. Uh, it runs along family lines among people who are uh, in the abductee category as opposed to contactees. Well, no, probably, then definitely, yeah, because I never had anything happen after that. And so mm-hmm. it's probably something that I watched on TV and just didn't know. A lot of st- we're real sensitive when we're kids. So um, yes, but I remember every stinking like nightmare, everything that really freaked me out. I still remember to this day, and I'm almost forty. So that tells you how much it does to you. Um, yes, absolutely. Now, do you ever get to work with children or speak to them at all about these types of things? Uh, I I tend not. 
to. Mm-hmm. I tend to speak with the parent um, when a child is being affected. And we certainly have had uh, parents who have come to us concerned that the children are being taken or, or visited. Uh, and I think that rather than uh, coming in as uh, a stranger, an individual that they don't know, I will guide the parents in how to speak with them, and I'll educate the parents uh, to do it. And you know, they can get back with me with additional information if they want to. But I, some people do specialize in working just with children. I don't. I prefer to work with adults. It's a little touchy, right? You don't want to, you don't want to mess anything up. <laughs> that's how I was. That's what I was thinking too. That's why I asked. I was like, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I'd want to go down that road because kids are so sensitive. Um, they just really yes. are very sensitive to these things, and some kids are way more sensitive than others. I know my son was when he was young. Sometimes he would just. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but he would just get emotional for no reason, or you would think it was no reason, but I think sometimes he was just sensitive to certain things, you know. Yeah, and, you know, according to our studies, I've worked on three studies now on experiencers, uh, about 35 37% believe that they were taken for the first time when they were five years old or, or younger, uh, so... And, and then throughout their lifetime, a lot of these people are now in their 50s and 60s and just feeling comfortable that they can come forward and, and talk to people that they can trust who are going to keep their information confidential and who are not going to criticize them. Mm. Um, so, and in hypnosis, I have worked with people. I've taken them back to their childhood. Yeah. I see. I'm freaked out now. You got me worried about doing this thing live on the air. Oh, oh. boy. <laughs> oh, you were going to be hypnotized? Yeah, that was me. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because okay. I've had some really strange, uh, I don't know, like types of things that have happened in my life here recently that I feel like has to be, there has to be some type of past life, something there. And I want to find out so bad, mm-hmm. but I'm one of those guys that I'm just, uh, I'm I'm not afraid to do or say anything on the air. I'm like I'm not ridiculous like Howard Stern, but as far as leaving myself out there, I'll do it. But now I am starting to kind of worry about it. Well, let me ask you this: Do you have somebody at your home who, or someone who can sit there and watch you and report back? Yeah. So Daniel has this some method. Number one, he says I have to be on camera, and he has to see my hand, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, the other late night host lives here in the building too, Ryan Gable, and he said he would help too. Uh, okay. If, if he can be beside you and he can talk to, uh, the hypnotist first, then you'll be a lot safer than if you were just there alone. Good. Okay. So that would work probably. Yeah. yeah. Cause it would have, yeah. Cause I can't imagine somebody. Uh, doing that and then getting taken deep, deep under. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're by yourself and yeah, you get pretty freaky for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, when it comes to this, I keep wanting to call it the field manual, but it's what to do when you've been abducted, your new book, Extraterrestrial Contact. Now this, uh, it includes shipping to the USA and it's a comprehensive and, and far reaching, a survivor's guide to UFO abduction 
there's a workbook at the end of each chapter. That's pretty yes. interesting. Why, mm-hmm. did, why did you go that route? Because I wanted to help people. And mm-hmm. so uh, just put in a little workbook at the end so that people could answer the questions uh, and be able to understand more about themselves and their experiences. And everybody, and what is one of the most common things that you th- that happens with people that come to you when it comes to abduction? Is it is it uh, sleep paralysis? Is it things like that? Is it the energy that you discussed earlier? Is I mean, I'm trying I'm trying to figure out what are some of the biggest common things that people say because I've had a few weird experiences myself, and I don't know what they are to be honest with you. Um, well. Mostly when, when I work with people in hypnosis, I, uh, have, I investigate their case first. Um, okay. So I want to know everything about them. I, I generally sit and I talk to people for uh, four, three, four, five hours, uh, sometimes more. I've, I've interviewed people for eight hours before I've done the hypnosis with them uh, to know the uh, everything about their past history, all of the experiences they've had, uh, what specific memories they have, and uh, when I we do all of that, uh, I I also ask them to write out questions that they have that I can ask their subconscious and receive answers because through quantum healing hypnosis, I'm able to. Uh, tap into what uh, a lot of people call the super conscious, not just the subconscious. Under hypnosis, you talk to the subconscious. But this is like a super conscious uh, that uh, can answer generally in the third person about that person's experiences and answer their questions. And if healing needs to be done, then healing can be asked for as well. And uh, I've seen people healed from uh, arthritis, from brain tumor, from uh, uh, one one person was supposed to be having knee replacement surgery and didn't require it after, from cancer. Unbelievable that the body can heal itself that way um, by requesting it from the superconscious. From cancer? That's amazing. Yes, yes. Wow. It is unbelievable to me. And I can feel that strong tingling in my body when that is occurring. You feel that, that energy I'm, again? I'm doing that work. I'm, I'm holding my hands out over the person's body, and I'm feeling that very strong tingling energy. You know, uh, do you ever run into, because I talked to a guest named Tom Zisner, and he's a psychologist, but he would... He worked specifically with people that had dissociative disorder and uh, multiple personality disorders. And what he talked about is when you would get to certain depths inside of people's subconscious, that these characters, or he even called them entities, would come out and protect that person. Have you ever seen anything like that? Uh, I've talked to children, well, adults now, who were uh, abused or neglected as children. A lot of them grew up in foster homes, and they uh, believe that they uh, do have a relationship with these other entities uh, who were their protectors. Uh, 
who, uh, when if they were being sexually abused, this individuals was there to protect them. If they were being beaten, uh, if they were in a foster home and very lonely and and just longing for love, this these entities would come forward. I've heard this from a lot of different people. Wow, that's and do you think that they're uh, that's a stupid question, but do you I still have to ask it. Do you think that they're real or that they were made up in the mind? I really don't know. Uh, I do know that uh, there are interdimensional positive entities, and uh, I even have video of one that was visiting a person that I worked with. And, you know, so that tells me that it appears to be real and it can can materialize. And people will see these uh, human-looking and people dressed in long flowing robes that are kind of angelic in a way. Um, Chris Bledsoe, the experiencer, uh, famous experiencer from North Carolina, uh, has ha- had this, the, the woman appear who is blonde, uh, very angelic, white flowing robe, um, just an incredible uh, thing. And, and had he had a painting uh, done of it. He has a, a relative who's also observed this woman. It's this lady. Wow, that's so, so, that's so amazing. That is, it's so amazing. It uh, really is. What what's been your what do you think your biggest challenge with writing this book was? Uh, was it to? I mean, did you ever struggle with like, am I the person that should write this? Like, should I tell people what they should or shouldn't do when these types of things happen? Or did you just like have so much confidence because of your history with it that? that you felt an obligation kind of to write this or was it any well, of that? Well, I, I have quite a history. Uh, and so I, I felt confident to, to write the book, but I wanted to bring in a psychotherapist who had spent her career, uh, working with people who had post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I brought in three, Brilliant women, uh, all all friends who work with experiencers, and the psychotherapist wrote a chapter on how to cope with contact, and so there's a great chapter on that. Uh, another one is a psychic, and also was worked as a psychologist in a psychiatric hospital uh, when she was younger, and um, she wrote a chapter called uh, "This Is My Reality." Uh, what now? So the stages you go through uh, from the beginning where you're having fear, where you're having confusion, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And she talks about all of the stages that you go through from that period um, to growing and moving toward the next stage. You might uh, slip back a little bit. And, And finally, you come to a stage of understanding where you have the information, you know what's going on in your life, and you can accept it and integrate it comfortably. 
Uh, I said she was a psychic too. So she wrote another chapter on becoming psychic because we've discovered that the, the majority of experiencers uh, do uh, develop psychic abilities or uh, are at least intuitive. And they also develop the psychic sense of being empathic, where they can feel uh, other people's emotions as if they were their own. Uh, you, you can't hurt a person if you're empathic because you feel their pain. Yeah. Uh, I think that this might be uh, a plan that these non-human entities have to make us a kinder, uh, gentler species. Uh, and then I brought in Denise Stoner, and uh, Denise uh, wrote uh, the first uh, part of the first third of the alien abduction files about her own history of abductions. And uh, she is a paranormal specialist. So she and myself and, and Anne Castle, who was the psychologist and psychic, uh, contributed to a couple of chapters. One is when you discover that it may not be extraterrestrial. And then the other, angels, demons, and parasites. Do these entities exist? So we have chapters on that. I also wrote a chapter on when you want it to stop. Um, if, if it is uh, an interdimensional negative entity, why uh, this might have been attracted to you, and uh, a dozen suggestions on how to make it stop. And also, if you are a UFO experiencer, abductee, and, and you are part of a scientific program, but you're sick of it, you're tired of getting woken up in the middle of the night, you, you want this to stop, uh, ways that you can request a reprieve or break your contract, because we found that uh, most of these people uh, might have been extraterrestrials in a previous lifetime, might have been in contact with these extraterrestrials in a previous lifetime. And uh, so a lot feel that they uh, entered into a contract to come here uh, in order to uh, raise human spirituality uh, in order to uh, raise human consciousness. And they say that the big problem, their greatest fear, the ET's greatest fear, is that uh, we will destroy this planet because our spiritual development is out of sync with our technological development. And you can certainly see that in our warlike behavior. Yeah. And we have reached the stage in our technological development that if we don't increase our spiritual development, uh, our acceptance of other humans, uh, then uh, it, there's a very good chance that we could destroy ourselves and life on this planet. So that's a huge concern that's been voiced over and over again to experiencers over many, many years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that I would have to agree with you on that, especially the technology and spirituality part. Um, looks like we got uh, 586 area code on the air. I believe this is James Alcido. Is this you, James? That would be me. Hey, how's it going, James? You got a question for Kathleen yeah. tonight? Yeah, well, I just wanted to 
real quick go over an experience I had. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just get her take on it. I think you know what I'm talking about already, Joe. Yeah, um, go, go I ahead. Talked about it last time. Okay, so I'm uh, first of all, I was born legally blind. I have some vision, um, and so that's kind of important, I think, in a way. I had this event happen one night where. At first, I thought it was a dream, but it felt like more than a dream. And I've, I've had that feeling before with other things. Um, and I was stuck on this. I was on this table, not my bed, but a table. And I couldn't move. And I couldn't really see much around me, except I knew there were, were figures around me. I had, there was two people in the, in the background that had my parents' voices that were saying everything was going to be okay. But I could tell by their voices it wasn't them. Um, and then the worst part of the experience was I could see something coming down from the ceiling, or at least from up above me. And it was a needle, and it started to come down towards one of, towards my eyes, one of my eyes. And I, I, it ended with me feeling this thing touch one of my eyes, and it's, that's when I woke up from this. And I was just wondering your thoughts on that. And I can hang up now and take the answer out, out there. So. Okay. Thanks for your call, Jane. Well, I would like to know if your vision you. was returned. Oh. Or did you, no. did it improve no. your it's, vision? It's, no. Okay. No. No, it did not. Yeah, thank you, though. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Um, there, there have been science fiction movies where something comes down out of the ceiling and and uh, is inserted into an eye or another part of the the human body, uh, so that if if he had observed that, it could have contributed to the dream. Uh, generally, if the ETs are going to implant an imp. Uh, an implant, and they put it into uh, the eye, it would just go into the corner of the eye. Um, and it, they would not have a machine that came down out of the ceiling. It would be done with an implement they would hold in their hand. And sometimes uh, the eye is uh, removed and and placed on the cheek. and oh, wow. uh, And... That's that's been reported by a few uh, abductees. I don't know how prevalent it is. Uh, it, it, I've only heard of a few, um, but something is done behind the eye. So, you know, that's the way that implants can be put in, uh, and those uh, non-human entities are being pretty kind to the people that they're taking now who are older. And they, uh, if the person is experiencing a, a physical problem, such as blindness, um, they could ask for healing. And sometimes that will be granted. I've worked with a number of experiencers whose uh, wishes have been granted when I've said, send them telepathic uh, messages every single day because they can hear you through your implant. Um, they know what you're saying. Just ask for this healing. And uh, it's remarkable. We have right now uh, evidence of an incredible healing of a man who uh, lives up in Manitoba, 
but I investigated his case. I've been doing that for years now. And uh, he had developed lymphoma. And so I told him to do that. And I said, I will, I'll send telepathic messages too. And uh, I'll pray for you as well. And and we'll just see what happens. Yeah. And uh, about, oh, uh, a couple of weeks later, he got in touch with me and he had video of an orb. It was a beautiful blue orb that he saw with his eyes when he was lying in bed. And he grabbed his cell phone and he got shot this orb and uh, it slid down his wall and then it flew like a butterfly. It was white in the middle. Uh, you could see, but it was it had a baby blue halo around it. It came, it hovered over his body momentarily. It put out beautiful iridescent tendrils. It dove down into his body and he fell asleep. And when he woke up, the following day, the lymph nodes that had been huge, I had the photographs of before and after, the lymph nodes on his neck were uh, barely visible uh, and, and you couldn't feel them. They were tiny, tiny again. By the time he went in for surgery, he uh, had been healed. The four necrotic, tiny, tiny necrotic nodes were removed, they were no longer cancerous. And Dr. Joseph Burks uh, wrote a chapter in Free's book, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence about um, healing, ET healing. And, and Joe Burks has this experiencer's medical records. So it's uh, very very interesting. I believe it's the, and Joe believes it's the only case in the entire world where there is an orb on video that heals a person from cancer. Wow. Preston See, why Dennett. Can't, yeah, why can't we figure this out? You know, and like as far as modern medicine goes, though. See, that's that's what frustrates me about the military and all this a uh, you know a tip and all this stuff because. I mean, if, if we would get more involved with it, we could put it in modern medicine. And, you know, most people say like, well, uh, they're way too into the money. It's all about the money, et cetera, et cetera. Humans are evil. Okay, I get it. But if that's the case, then why is this stuff happening? Why is this stuff happening to begin with, if that's the case? It just makes me think about all that. What's the point? I don't know if I'm making any sense, but if... It's almost like they're just, I guess, just waiting around for us to wake up or we're under some type of experimentation. I, well, I think the bigger picture just doesn't make sense to me sometimes, Kathleen. They're working with us surreptitiously, and they say that uh, they are doing this uh, intentionally because they don't want to be too disruptive to our society and that they just come uh, to assist in our development. Uh, some of them say that they planted our seed here. Uh, but then you have others. I mean, these entities run, kind of run the gamut because you have some that don't care as much about human beings, uh, who aren't as nice, who don't heal people, who just do uh, experiments on people and, and frighten them or uh, beyond that. 
But then you have others and even gray species who are can be very nice and, and willing to heal the experiencers that they've worked with for all of these years when, when they encounter uh, physical problems. Mm. Okay. And I agree with those who say that the... Uh, the medical community would not allow that type of healing because we have a history of people who have uh, invented uh, healing methods that have been more successful than what we use now. The Body Electric is one book that was written by uh, a doctor who uh, had in in invented a way to uh, heal broken bones at a faster rate, fractures at a faster rate. Um, and uh, the medical community simply would not accept it because they are making money. Uh, and the pharmaceuticals are making money doing other things. And if you look at the history of science, Stanton and I wrote about this and science was wrong. You look in the history of science, you see that these new ideas are debunked, uh, they uh, are criminalized sometimes, uh, so that the people who are making the money doing the procedures that are being used now continue to do that and will not be replaced by something that is more technologically efficient because, you know, they want that income. They want to make that money. The stockholders and the corporations want to keep that coming in. That's just this is terrible. Yeah, the, and I just got through talking to a friend of mine about the reps and the surgeons and the um, uh, some of these bigger companies that sell equipment to these uh, hospitals and surgeons. It's like they just literally, we're talking, and then I know it's bad, but we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, $20,000, $30,000 price differences that they just play around with sometimes just to do favors for their buddies and stuff like that uh, when you go under the knife. And not to mention the kickbacks they get for chemo. It is it is a racket for sure. It is. And if you go back, let, just let me give an example. Uh, Ignac Semmelweis was uh, a physician in uh, Vienna, uh, his, back in history in the, the mid-1800s. And uh, he, they had a big problem because that's when medical doctors had just come in and they were starting to deliver babies. And Semmelweis uh, noticed that the uh, death rate among the women being treated by doctors was much, much higher than those who were having babies delivered uh, by midwives. And he looked in what could be the problem. And he discovered that these uh, medical doctors in training were uh, dissecting cadavers in the morning wiping their hands on their aprons and then going up and delivering babies and doing internal <sighs> examinations uh, after that without washing their hands. And so he uh, instituted a hand-washing method uh, so that the hands would be clean and it had 
tremendous success. It reduced the uh, childbed fever uh, to as low as it was for the midwives. But his supervisor uh, accused him of being a charlatan of... uh, and, and this was advertised among other doctors all over Europe. He was uh, held in disgrace. He was thrown out of the medical uh, college where he was teaching. And he ended up going to Hungary. And uh, when, he was, when he was there, he, he used his methodology and uh, very successfully. You know, he said, you you need to change the sheets on these hospital beds more than once a month, too. And uh, but he was in disgrace during his entire lifetime. After he died, then we discovered bacteria. And uh, there is now a monument for him and for the work that he did. But he was punished for the remainder of his life just because he was attempting to save the lives of these people who were being infected by the dirty hands of these doctors. Oh, my God. Very unfortunate. That's, I mean, that's so sad. And it's it is. frustrating. Yeah. It is, yes. But true. Well, and see, this is my point. Like, we have this going on with us, and yet... We're being visited by what would seem to be super advanced races or spirits, entities. I mean, people call them different things, ETs. Yes. Uh, and then I guess maybe it's just a, a moral dilemma with me. I, I don't know why. They say, well, we don't want to interfere with, you know, your progress or evolution. Kind of like when you watch Star Trek and I, there was that prime directive or whatever, not to, to let planets evolve on their own but to me that's just silly i mean look look where we're at when it comes to technology now we, mm-hmm. we still have certain areas of the world where there's tribal people in the rainforest and stuff and other areas in the world where there's artificial intelligent robots running things so i don't maybe it's a spiritual evolution that they're talking about that doesn't there, there maybe there's another natural process i'm not aware of but sometimes i wish they just come down here and just fix stuff because I don't have a lot of faith in humans doing it anymore to be honest with you well they have told experiencers that if they did come down in large numbers and showed up over our cities it would be viewed as an invasion that's one thing that our military would attempt to defend us and it would end up being very bad for us and also uh, remember a few Uh, study the the history of our world and the impact that uh, a more highly technologically advanced society has on an indigenous society when uh, they go in and they take their uh, themselves, their ideas uh, into that indigenous society. It turns out to be very bad for those, the indigenous people. They look at the Native Americans, um, the, the high rate of alcoholism, because we took their culture away from them. And that's what happens when uh, a, a more highly advanced technologically uh, society uh, 
uh, goes in to, and you know, it's viewed as an invasion, uh, suddenly it would change all of us and change everything here. And most of these entities don't look anything like us, and they're telepathic. Uh, it's, uh, they're so different from humans. Except Almost for the incomprehensible ones who look to like us. us in a way, in some way. Yes, yes, yeah. and and very intense uh, as well. Um, what do you mean? I by don't that? think that humans would respond well. Uh, what do you mean by that? Can you give me? An ex- can you tell me that in a different way to help me understand? Some intense uh, in that telepathic communication, where you know there's. You can feel the the strong tingling sensation when that's oh. going on, okay. and that information is being um, put very rapidly into your mind, and and you just uh, I don't know I personally feel a uh, kind of intensity coming that this is almost too much to tolerate. I got you right. Like we can't. We couldn't handle the depths of what they're giving off, too. I wonder about that. Like, we feel emotions to a certain level before we break down. We, f- we, we can only handle physically so much or so much thought before we have anxiety or psychosis, too. So uh, I wonder how much en- energy we can handle. Now, now I don't. this is going to be kind of a weird question, but the tingling that you talk about, we've done a lot of shows here lately on uh, toroidal fields and vortex math and things like that. Is there any indication that there's a real, um, that there's a real phenomenon to that, to you? Like we discussed with uh, Claude Swanson, uh, Randy Powell, others about the human body having a toroidal field type of, uh, I know you've seen the shape where it kind of goes out the head, then it goes out and around and back up through the feet. And then the planets have it. And they, there's a big theory about this. Can you feel anything like that? Does it feel like it that could be real? Uh, different people experience tingling. Sometimes there's a kundalini effect that happens when when people are regular meditators. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you tap into a different field. You feel that in the presence of these extraterrestrial entities too. And I've thought about that time and time again. I just don't have the answers. Sure. I know that people experience it, and I know what they're feeling because I experience it now and have since I worked with Kevin Briggs. Um, but uh, – who knows what it is? No, there's I, no science I, for, for us to look at there, yeah. Right, sure. right. As far as it, I know at the present time, I cannot prove to anybody that I'm having this sensation unless they're also having that sensation. Um, you know, so... Uh, and this is done, like, remotely, too, right? Like, you can... Uh, you could be talking to somebody, I don't know, in Nevada or something, and does it work that way, or do you have to be, like, in the room when you're working with them, or does it even matter? When I'm speaking with an experiencer who is a real experiencer, I feel tingling all through my body. It starts with the crown chakra, the top of the head, and uh, sometimes if there is a big connection there, I feel it through my entire body. There's something about that, and I don't—I can't explain that either. 
But it's, it says to me, yes, that person really is having contact with uh, extraterrestrials. So it doesn't matter. Locality doesn't matter. It's, it's no. the, the fact that you're communicating with them and you feel it. Interesting. Yes. That tells me it has to, that there's got to be something to do with either consciousness or sound. It has to be consciousness. It has to be. It uh, has to be. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Um, very strange, but <laughs> I have a lot to learn. You know, I was a nuts and bolts investigator for many, many years. And it was only about 10 years ago that I uh, realized that I was being unscientific in limiting my investigations and conclusions uh, to what was physically observable, what was yeah. measurable. And uh, because I've seen orbs myself, I've had so much of these things just growing up around experiencers um, and uh, working with experiencers as well. That uh, There's something else that out there in the real. ether. There's some yes. other kind of sense that we can tap into a little bit that other, yeah, there's some type of field that, that we can tap into a little bit, but others can't. It explains the out-of-body experience. It explains these different, it explains a lot, but it just doesn't explain enough. It's probably the tip of the iceberg when it comes really comparative to what's out there in the universe, I, I would think. Um no, yes, I and I do want to just uh, give a, a little warning that if anyone who's listening in tonight uh, thinks about attempting to experience this by doing uh, meditation every day, uh, please protect yourself. There are some very good online meditations on YouTube, guided meditations, but make sure that uh, you put a bubble around yourself, fill it with white light from the divine or from the highest intelligence, whatever you want to say, but fill that as your protection. Make it very clear that nothing can enter your body uh, because negative entities like to slip in when you're in a meditative state. Well, you guys heard that, right? So just do it. Better safe than sorry regardless, I would say. Yes, um, yes. Uh, now, in your book, because uh, we only got just a few minutes here left in the program, I want to kind of touch on this. You you talk about the difference between an abductee, an experiencer, and a contactee. Do a lot of people get those confused? I think that they do. Um, of course, in, in the beginning, back in the 50s, uh, everybody was a contactee. They were having contact with... Uh, the space brotherhood and, and sisterhood, uh, these very benevolent human appearing entities is all that were reported. And then starting in 1961 with Betty and Barney Hill, this wasn't a contact kind of experience. It was an abduction. They were taken against their will and it was frightening and they underwent medical procedures uh, so that was new. And then uh, John Mack came along, Dr. Jo John Mack, and he coined the word experiencer. So that was kind of a generic term that could be used that everyone would fit into. 
So uh, I always say people can call themselves whatever they want. There are some researchers who believe that everyone should be called a contactee. There are some on the other end who say they're all abductees. Uh, Those who think they're contactees just have Stockholm syndrome. So, you know, you have, it runs the gamut uh, with all sorts of opinions. I say that experiencers should be able to call themselves whatever they want what to be called, whatever they feel comfortable with. And I'm not going to put that value judgment on anyone. And so I just tend to use the word experiencer unless that person tells me that they are a contactee or an abductee. Yeah, because it's kind of, because it is kind of personal to, I've noticed that too. It's kind of personal to some of them. And I could see yes. why, based on what they've been through. So if you call Absolutely. somebody, I don't know, an experiencer, and they've been, I don't know, uh, taken through a traumatic event, like something like Whitley went through or something, they're going to be like, no, you know, I'm an abductee. I think they just want that kind of respect and um uh, acknowledgement that they went through something like that. And I yes, understand what you're saying. it's a personal experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, th- this really went by fast. I could talk to you forever about all of this. Main thing I really want to ask you before we let you go is, is what what's the main message of this book and why people should grab it from you? And then like, what do you have coming up next? I know with COVID, you probably, there's probably not much going on, but Um, or how they can contact you if they've had any of these experiences? Well, I think the main message of this book is uh, uh, a comprehensive guide to uh, coping with your experiences, to understanding them, and to investigating them yourself. So there's a tremendous amount of new and different information in here that has never been uh, presented in a book before for experiencers and and both experiencers, researchers, and also psychotherapists. Uh, have found it to be very, very helpful and useful. Oh, wow. And, okay. and if you would like to go to my website, uh, I have a list of uh, upcoming speaking engagements. Of course, most of them have been canceled for the year, but uh, there's a free one uh, that's taking place on, I think it's the 3rd and 4th and 5th of October is called Portal to Ascension. And you can get the link from my website. It's online. Uh, You can just connect online and it's free. You can give a donation if you want, but you don't have to pay for any of these three days of of, uh, interviews and lectures and panel discussions. I'm going to be on it on Sunday evening. And uh, so that's that's something that's really good, I think, to, for people to look forward to, especially those who enjoy going to conferences and just haven't been able to yeah. this year because they've been canceled. I have a lot of articles on my website that are free to read. And also uh, you can purchase any of my books autographed. Yeah, get the books for sure. Like if you're into ufology or... If you're just getting into ufology and you really want to get some of the fundamentals and the basics, like these are definitely a go-to for the stories and some of the, and I'm not, there's more than just basics here, but I would say, and you are, you do have that kind of notoriety now, like 
people mention your name and they reference your stories, especially Betty and Barney Hill and your research and what you and Stanton did, Stanton did. And it's, yeah, it's just a real honor to have you on the program and thank you for coming back on. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with you again. Absolutely. And guys, I'll leave the links there for you too for, on the archives. You know that. And uh, please don't copy the show without written permission. The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gables coming up next. Music was by Steezy Stevie and Kronoaks. Uh Tomorrow night, we're going to have a pretty special show too. So you guys make sure that you come out. Same time, same channel. Love you guys. Good night.